Esau. Remember how Esau, the brother of Jacob, sold his birthright for a bowl of food? He basically came back from hunting. He was starving to death. And, and he said, you know, just said to his brother Jacob, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to die if I don't get something to eat. And, and I think he was probably exaggerating there a, a little bit. But, but he then is so hungry, he's willing to sh- give up his birthright, his, his rightful inheritance to his brother just for momentary food. You think about Israel. Israel is the chosen child of God here. God says, you're my firstborn and I'm saving you. I'm bringing you out. He's going to be taking them to the promised land with their inheritance is waiting for them. And they're basically saying, I would rather have food in my belly than the inheritance that awaits. Just like Esau, I would rather have food in my belly than the inheritance that waits. For us, how often is it that we wished life was smooth, we wished life was peaceful, we wished life had no trials if I just didn't have to be where I was? And maybe some of us have even looked at our, at our pre-Christian life and we're going through some struggles as a Christian and we look back with a sort of jealousy. And we say, before I was a Christian, I didn't have these problems. I didn't have this moral dilemma to try to do right. I didn't have to worry about if I was going to lose my job because I need to do the right thing and my boss wants me to do something that is morally questionable. I never got made fun of. I never got mocked. I never, you think of the cake bakers lately who have been in the news who get sued because of holding up for their Christian convictions. And, and you can imagine just being in those shoes and, and having this moment of temptation of saying, you know, if I just compromised on my principles, I wouldn't have this problem. I think that temptation is real to us. No matter where you are, no matter what stage of your life you're, you're in, the temptation to look back and say it was better before it was easier before keeping the commands of the Lord is sometimes hard. And yet the scriptures want us to look ahead at what awaits us and not look behind at where we've come from and wish we were there. So the book of Hebrews says this of the people of faith. They died. This is the heroes of faith. Abraham, Sarah, all of those not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles in the land. So, for example, God takes Abraham out of the land of his family, the land of Ur, and they wander around and he promises these things to to Abraham that you will have descendants as multitudes uh, as, as a you. I will make. Yeah. Your descendants will be as as many as the stars in the heavens. You have a multitude of it. And in his life, Abraham never sees that. But he looks ahead and he has faith and he understands that in this life, he's he's a stranger and an exile wandering, almost like Israel wandered in the desert, waiting for the coming inheritance. We too are in that sort of already not yet 
state of the Christian life. We have already been delivered. We have already been brought through our salvation. We have crossed through the blood of Christ. We have been covered in it. We are forgiven. And yet we have this not yet of this inheritance, this fullness of the inheritance that is waiting for us that we receive upon our death or upon the glorification that we receive when the Christ returns. And the temptation for us is not to be looking ahead and saying, this is what God has for me, and I just have to trust Him and keep my eye on the prize. The temptation is to look back and say, you know, at least when I was back there, I wasn't in the wilderness. At least when I was back there, things were going well for me. The Lord does hear the grumblings of his people and he gives them food. So starting in verse four, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. And I that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not on the sixth day when they prepare what is what the when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much. As they gather, Moses and Aaron said to the people of Israel at evening, you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. And for yeah, for what are we that you grumble against us? Moses said, when the Lord gives you the in the evening meat to eat and the morning bread to be full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. So in one sense, the people of God had complained to Moses. Why did you bring us here? Why are you doing this? You're saying this is from God. But Moses is rightly saying, I'm I'm just the servant here. I just was doing what God was called me to do. And Moses himself wasn't particularly anxious about doing it. If you remember back to the burning bush and how scared he was. And so ultimately, the people in their grumbling is against the Lord. Their grumbling is against the Lord and not ultimately against Moses and Aaron and the leaders. And I I think there are times that we need to ask ourselves, is my grumbling against something really a grumbling against God? Now, I I get it, Uh, and I've been in situations in in my life where you need to just call a trusted friend and you need to vent a little bit. You need to just get it off your chest. You need to just get it out, process it. You just say, ah, it was a bad day. It's terrible. These are the circumstances. And you just it's like blowing off steam. You're not necessarily sinning. You're just saying this is how I'm feeling. Thank you for listening to my emotions and, and you move on. Or, or maybe your good Christian friend says something to encourage you, like, you know, it's not that bad or, you know, you can hang in there or, you know, God has a reason for this. And you're not you're not doubting in your faith. You're just saying, OK, I just need to get it off my chest. And I don't I don't think that's necessarily wrong. But but we walk a fine line between a, a good kind of venting or, you know, you come home and you share something with your spouse and you just have that moment of of commiserating and comforting together and saying, okay, it's going to be okay. And you remind yourself, let's trust the Lord and all those things versus turning your grumbling into something where you question the provision of God. 
or something where you question the goodness of God. And instead of saying, you know, oh, man, my circumstances are tough and I just need to get off my chest. You start to ask the why questions. Why would God do this to me? Why would God bring me here? And your grumbling at that point goes from just, okay, I was sharing to I'm really grumbling against God. I'm really doubting against God. In other words, we need to be honest, right? The Christian can have a bad day and can need sometimes a great Christian friend where you share that bad day or you just go to Lord in prayer and you say, oh, Lord, this was such a bad day. But there is a line that you cross when you start to complain to God and say, why would you do this? Why am I here? What is going on? And I can't sit here and tell you in every scenario where that line will be. This is something where you have to examine your heart. Why am I saying these things? What is my motivation? What is my goal? What am I looking for for the outcome? Am I really here bitter in my heart that God has allowed this to happen? Do I really think that I would have been better off if God wasn't in my life or if he just left me alone or if he didn't walk me through these things? If you're thinking in those ways, you're grumbling. If you're able to say, yeah, it was a bad day, we'll get back up and we'll do it tomorrow and I trust God, then you're not necessarily grumbling against God. So be careful when you grumble. Be careful when you grumble about God's people. Be careful when you grumble about God's church and be careful when you grumble about God's leaders in the church. Be careful that you aren't grumbling against God. Now, this doesn't mean that any of those people are not above criticism. There is a time and a place where we speak to a brother and sister or we even speak to a leader and we need to say something is wrong here. But notice that the people of God in this passage grumbled against Moses, and they were really grumbling against God. Be careful what you say about your brothers and sisters in Christ. Be careful about the grudges that you hold. Be careful about the bitterness that you let stir up. Be careful about jealousy or coveting, wishing that you had something that they had, wondering why, they, or, or judging them and thinking that they think that they're better than everyone else. Because sometimes you're grumbling against God who is at work in their life. Notice, too, that God heard the cries of his people's grumbles. And in this first case, God is just completely merciful against their grumbling. He, he, I don't want to say he ignores it in, in the sense that he doesn't let it bother him. But but he certainly takes care of them. In other words, he doesn't respond as their sins deserve. He responds with grace and mercy. Okay, hey, I'm going to take care of them. And, And the thing I think you need to remember, it's like they were in Egypt and they cried out in their affliction. And God took care of them out in that. They were they were oppressed. They were in slavery. It was Way dire circumstances than than being a little bit hungry. And God heard them. Why is it that when they get into the wilderness, they suddenly think now that God isn't going to hear them? I mean, the response of faith that should have happened is they should have said, oh, Lord, we are so hungry. You are a great God. You provide all things. Lord, please take care of our needs. 
We saw how you took care of our needs in Egypt. We saw how you heard our prayers and our cries and you brought us through the Red Sea. We saw even at the Red Sea, we were ready to turn back and go back to Egypt. But you took care of us. Now, Lord, you can kind of say to the Lord, finish the job. Like God doesn't save his people, start caring for them. And then halfway along in our Christian life, just go, you know, I'm I'm getting kind of tired of taking care of my children. Uh, I'm going to take a few days off here. You know how how moms, you sometimes maybe uh, lock the bedroom door and say, like, don't call me unless anybody's dying or, 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 or bleeding to death. You know, I need a nap. I need to rest. Like God doesn't get that way. He would have provided. He does provide. And they could have had this provision even without grumbling. Brothers and sisters, how many times are we like that? We've seen the faithfulness of God countless times over and over. Not only in our salvation, not only in our redemption that we have in Christ, which which those things should be more than enough. But we've seen him in the little things, in the way that he's provided, in the way that, that he's kept us safe, in the way that maybe some bills got paid when money was tight. And then you get into another set of circumstances. And it's like we have amnesia. We forget all of that. And we wonder, will God really take care of me? Notice that God is going to do this for his own uh, glory. Let me say one more thing about crying out to the Lord before we go on. So they cried out to the Lord when they were in Egypt. They should have cried out to the Lord here. James gives us similar instructions. He says this in James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your pleasures. So it would have been wrong for for the Israelites to say, you know, Lord, not only do you need to feed us, but bring us gold and riches and chariots and and just make me a billionaire. People in our day and age do that as well. They want to tell you that that's what the gospel is about, making you rich, making you happy. But there's another side of it. We are instructed in our needs to ask God. And James says sometimes, now now not all the time, but sometimes we don't have because we haven't asked God. And so the first response to, to when we're tempted to grumble because we don't think that God is taking care of a need. I think the first response is to say, have I asked God? Right? That's simple. But how many times do we just assume, well, God knows everything, so he knows my need. But have I, have I shown that trust? Have I, you know, we're supposed to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Have I asked for it? The second thing is then check your motives. Like maybe you did ask, but you were asking with the wrong motives. You weren't really, you, you, weren't, you were like that child that, that comes in for dinner and goes, if I don't get food right now, I'm going to die. And, and as parents, you go like, you can wait 10 minutes. Dinner's almost ready. Sometimes we're that way with God. You know, if you don't, if you don't do this for me, God, I'm going to die. It's over. The end of the world. 
And God doesn't give us something that we think we need to show us, well, that really wasn't a need. That was a want. But we need to ask God. Now, moving on, I want you to see here in verse 10 and verse 12, and it had been in one earlier verse, the Lord is doing this to show his glory. So, so it says in verse 10 at the end, behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. So and then in verse in verse 12, then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. They're going to know that God is there. And, and they are like us or we are like them. How often are we slow to learn what God is like and that God is there for us? I mean, they were protected through the ten plagues. God like shielded them. So they didn't hit them, but it hit all around them. The Passover, God shielded them and covered them with the blood so that the angel of the Lord would not destroy them. Through, through the Red Sea, God shielded them with this walls of water. They should have known the Lord. And God says, I'm going to show you my glory one more time. I'm going to show you who I am so that you would know me. Has God done that in your life? That you know the Lord Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection? That you have experienced him in your, your daily living, that he has shown himself to you to be faithful, that you've, you've looked for him and you've seen his hand of, of providence and you've seen his hand uh, of guidance and, and protection. I tell you, it takes the eyes of faith to see these things. God doesn't show up in our lives in the glory cloud. You know, you pray to prayer that you would have a safe trip uh, to work in the snowstorm and then you go out to start up your car and look there's the glory cloud and it's going to escort you into work and melt all the snow it doesn't work like that but God isn't any less God when he gives you that safe trip in when he causes you to get that flat tire early and you find out later if you would have been on time you would have been in a really big accident we call that God's providence God's hand of protection. He guides and directs through all things of life. He cares for his children. Do you know the Lord God and have you seen his providence and his working in your life? Notice that God did not provide for more than they needed, but he provided for their needs. So if they went out and they took more food than they were supposed to have, the very next day it had rot in it. It had worms in it. It must have smelled nasty. If you've ever had worms get into your garbage, you know how horrendous it is. If you've ever had mold on your food, you know how disgusting it is. And this was to show them, hey, you you should have trusted me. There would be more manna the next day. And then some of them kind of got like, okay, well, I trust him, so I'm not going to pick two on Friday. I'm not going to pick double. And it's like, no, you didn't listen to what he actually said. And he said on Fridays, pick double so that you won't be working on the Sabbath. The Lord takes care of our needs. The second thing this morning is to notice that the Lord also provides the means for me to obey him. So God provides enough food here for the people so that they can actually rest. 
You know, Matthew 6.33 says this, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And all these things that he is talking about, there is not riches and wealth and money and lavishness. He's, He's talking to people who are worried. What will I eat? What will I wear? Uh, what will I drink? The, the day-to-day staples of life. And Jesus says, look, if you focus on God, if you pursue the kingdom of God, your Father in heaven will take care of your daily needs. He says the Gentiles have all of these things because God takes care of them and they're not even saved. How much more will he take care of the Christian? I think the temptation for us in our life is this. We think that if we don't take care of ourselves, no one else will. And so the temptation is to say, when you see a command of God and you see how hard it is to to keep that command, and you see that it might involve a little bit of sacrifice on your part, that the temptation is to say, God, if I'm going to survive, if I'm going to take care of, of myself here and provide for my family, You'll understand if I compromise your command. Does that make sense? Or sometimes you want to you just cut corners a little bit. And you say, well, well God will understand. Because he knows I'm doing it for the right reasons. I have a responsibility. I have to take care of my family. I have to, to do this. But when God calls us to obey, he provides the means for us to. To obey. What do I mean by that? And how do we see that in this passage? God had given them the command not to work on the Sabbath. And so he doesn't let them go hungry on the Sabbath. He doesn't say, well, hey, look, I'm only providing enough days food for each day. And so, well, we can't we can't have manna on the Sabbath. So you're just going to have to go hungry. No, he provides double on Friday. And so then the test is, do the people actually trust God that when he said, I'm giving you two days here, that this was to keep the Sabbath? See, I think what happened, and and I think the reason that some of them uh, collected only one day's uh, manna on the Sabbath or on Friday before the Sabbath, I I think it was probably one of those, you can almost imagine somebody self-righteous being like, Well, we know what happened every other day we collected double. So I don't want to test God, wink, wink. And I'm only going to collect one day. But that's stupid, right? Because God gave him a command. Hey, this is the day you you take two because I want you to rest tomorrow. So their heart wasn't real. If they collected only one on that Friday, their heart wasn't really in honoring the Lord and honoring the Sabbath. In other words, they didn't trust God's provision when they actually had it. So you do see verse 22 down through 26. He's provided double for them uh, on the, the sixth day so they could rest on the seventh. There are those who neglected to listen and obey God and they find no bread on the Sabbath. Verses 27 uh, to 30. And then it says in verse Uh, 28, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? You didn't listen. You didn't have a heart for following the Lord. See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh 
day. When I was young, as probably a teenager, I remember my dad talking about a time when we were even a little bit younger, uh, when my dad was a carpenter, and, and we often lived uh, paycheck to paycheck. He had, a, he had a good job, but it was three kids in the family, and bills got paid, and, and we didn't go hungry, but, but money, uh, money was tight. And, and I remember my dad saying to me, and he was trying to actually teach me some principles about trusting the Lord and, and when I get out on my own, he, he, would even say to, he would say to me, there were some months, he said, that the budget didn't work out on paper. He's like, all the bills got paid. I don't know how they all got paid, but if you were to write out all the money that came in and all the money that went out, it, it wouldn't balance and yet everything got paid. And, and he was saying that, I'm, I'm sure if you really did the math somewhere, it worked out, but because but, math is, is math. But, but his point was, there were these times in life where you just didn't know how it was going to work out. And it did. And trusting the Lord never led him astray. And I can't remember if it was my dad who said this if, or if it was somebody else who I heard uh, talk about this, but I've heard it in, in a number of different contexts, I think, over, over my life. And I've heard people say and testify, you know, that they went through seri- periods of life where money was so tight, and, and so they, they would say to themselves, okay, well, you know, we, we can't give something to the Lord uh, this month, whether it be a tithe or, or just a general offering. And they would say, look, you know, God wants me to take care of my family. I have this responsibility. And, and so, you know, God will understand. And, and they would almost always say, you know, when I did that, that little extra bit of money that I was, that I was saving for something, that I was giving myself a little bit of breathing room in the budget, something would break down and that money would go to pay for that. And then they would say, and, and this isn't an infallible rule, it was just people's life experience. They would say, you know, when I made sure to set aside my tithe, when I made sure to set aside some giving, and, and I didn't know how, how everything was going to work out, the money would be fine. That extra thing that I was worried about, it would never happen. That somehow the balance, uh, the budget would balance. And, and I'm not here primarily talking about giving today. But the point is this. When you make a commitment to trust the Lord to obey his commands, God provides the means for you to obey them. Maybe it's in that job that you're tempted to take, and it would be a huge opportunity for you. But you realize you're going to end up missing a lot of church. Or missing a lot of time with your family. And maybe you have to look at God's calling in your life and trust him and say, you know what? I need to be around when my kids are young. I need to make sure that, that I am in church regularly. I'm not speaking against the person that occasionally has to pull some overtime or something. I'm, I'm talking about the person that, that, that thinks that it's okay for me to not do what God would have me do gathering with the saints regularly because, hey, I've got this great opportunity. The temptation here for these people was not to trust that God would help them and keep them and allow them to keep the Sabbath. And this goes back to that. Do you seek first the kingdom of God 
and trust that all these things will be given unto you. Again, that your needs will be taken care of, that you'll be able to put clothes on your kids' back, that you, that you won't have to, to worry, that you don't have to grumble against God because if you simply ask Him to take care of you, He will be faithful. That, that the church is here to, to help people when there are immediate needs. God takes care of His children. Third, this morning, even after God shows He's trustworthy, it's easy to sin and test Him. I think what's worse about this third time is they had just seen God provide manna and quail. And now, in chapter 17, they get into the wilderness. Verse 1, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages. According to the commandment of the Lord, they camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Then the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And they had just had their bellies filled with manna and quail, and now they're worried about a little bit of water? Like like if God can part the Red Sea for them to walk through, don't you think He could have done something like maybe just bring even a little bit of rain? That they could have, he could have told them, you know, like, hey, put your pots out in the morning and you'll walk out and it will be filled with water. Like, he could have done anything. And you've seen all of this. And how often are we like that? We've seen all that the Lord has done. And then another trial comes and we say, God, are you really there? God, are you really going to do it this time? And I would encourage you and I would challenge you that if you have seen God's hand of provision in your life, the next time a trial comes up, remember how God provided and ask Him to provide again. And trust that He will provide for your needs. And and also be willing to trust that, you know, the things that you think are needs might not be your need. You know, you might be saying, I need a new car. And, and the way God provides for your need is He keeps your old junker running running far beyond what you thought it would. But God is still meeting that need. And don't grumble about that. And don't, don't complain about that. And again, I say this as one who himself tends to grumble. I do remember a time where God had walked me through a hardship. And it was related to ministry. And he kept me hanging in there. And he encouraged me. And he lifted me up. And then there came the next time where we actually did have to leave our church because they just couldn't, I couldn't provide for my family anymore. And, and they just said, and it was mutual, and, and they said, you know, you need to take care of your family, and we don't want you to stress out about this. You need to go and look for, for other work. And I had nothing lined up. I had no prospects. Uh, it, it, it was scary But I do remember, and I'm I'm not saying this to brag, but I'm saying this to say God was faithful and he taught me something in the first hardship. I remember with all the concerns, 
just somewhere deep in my heart, there was a peace. Like I had no clue that God was going to bring us here. I had no clue what that was going to entail. And yet I knew because God had had us hang on for so long. And so many times where I thought, well, this is it. We're going to leave. God said, no, you're staying. No, we're getting through this. No, no, just trust me. Hang on. We're good here. And then when it was like he finally said, okay, now. And it was like, okay. I wasn't perfectly peaceful in that moment. And I'm certainly not perfect. But somewhere I knew God took care of me before. He will take care of me again. I'm saying that so that you'll look to God. God took care of you before. He will take care of you again. And the real travesty of this, when, they, when they, they go and God stands on the rock and Moses strikes the rock, the real travesty is they put God to the test again after they had just seen it. But I want you to see what God does in his provision. It says in verse seven, or starting in verse four, Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall I do to, with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take the, in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. So remember how he struck the Nile and it parted or I mean, sorry, he struck the Nile and it turned in, into blood and he raised the staff later and, and the Red Sea parted. It's that same staff and God is going to work is the idea. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb and you shall strike the rock and the water shall come out of it and the people shall drink. Now, one, this is God's hand of provision and God could have provided in countless various ways and he determines to do it through this rock. But I think this imagery here is, is extremely, if I could say it, pregnant with a picture. God is standing on the rock. And God himself in Deuteronomy is called the rock. With, with a, you put a capital R to it. Uh, I am the rock, he says. His work is perfect. All his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness, without iniquity, just and upright is he. And over in Scripture, this is the image. He's the rock. And Moses is to strike the rock, little r. So there's a physical rock there that Moses strikes. But the spiritual rock, God himself, is standing over that rock. And I think it's a picture of God saying, I'll let myself be struck so that water can be provided for you. I think it's a picture of sacrifice that God makes for his people. Now, it didn't hurt God here to be struck by Moses, but it's the imagery of the rock which who they're grumbling against is the very one who will give of himself and sacrifice himself so that his people are provided for. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 4, that the people that left in the Exodus, they drank of the same spiritual drink and they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. 
I think Paul is saying there's something spiritual going on here. And God is the rock that follows them around. But here as this rock is struck, they're not drinking from just the physical rock. They're drinking from the spiritual rock. This is, this is almost like a, a sacrament or like taking communion or an ordinance here. And then Paul says this, the rock was Christ. And in the gospel, Christ was struck for you to pay the penalty for your sins. The ultimate provision given on our behalf because we are the sinner, because we are the grumbler and the complainer. We are the one who always says to God, are you really going to come through, God? Are you really there? Do you really provide for me? And God says, look, I've sent my son to die for you. And how, if I've given you my son, will I not also give you all things? And when he says that in Romans through Paul, he's talking about all the glories, the riches of heaven and the inheritance. That God will not abandon you as you wander in this life. Exiles from heaven, strangers waiting to get there. But don't look back and wish we were in our sins. Look forward and say, God will bring me to that home because Christ has died for me. And notice finally verse 7. And he came to the place of Manasseh and Meribah because the quarreling of the people of Israel and they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And in the church, God is in our midst, both individually as he's in our hearts, but, but in, in 2 Corinthians, he's, he's corporately in our midst. Be careful that you don't grumble because, because God is here. And God hears. And be careful that you're not complaining about a brother and sister in Christ or a, or a pastor or an elder or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher because God is in our midst. And so I want to leave you with this series of questions. One, where am I grumbling and complaining? Two, where have my complaints risen to a level where I'm testing or challenging God? Three, have I explicitly or maybe implicitly called into question the goodness of and the grace of God with my attitude and behavior. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, and we just want to ask that you would continue to work in us and through us. We pray that we would learn here from the, the grumbling of Israel. And, and Lord, we, we confess to you that we all uh, grumble. I confess to you that I grumble and complain. Uh, Lord, teach us that, that you are trustworthy, and you will continue to be trustworthy, and you will not fail. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. If you would stand with us for our final song.